This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. You know, they have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, and they have new pins coming out every single month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. We are the board. And you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. You will listen. Resistance is futile. You must comply. From a secret location deep within the mining tunnels of Janus 6, it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, everyone. Here we are from Podfleet Command Special Remote Office, and we're happy to be here. Um, of course, we, uh, I'm going to get to the idiot that's going to do this show with me in just a second, but this is episode number 174, and we love talking classic Trek. We absolutely do. It's what started our fandom. It's it's what really got us off the ground. It's something that has a, you know, a close place in our hearts uh, in our Star Trek fandom. And, well, it doesn't get much better than this particular episode, quite honestly. And uh, now to bring in my uh, aforementioned co-host. If, uh, if he were in the mining tunnels of Janus 6, I think I would just about leave him there. Um, yeah, because uh, honestly, there's nothing there to mine when he's there. He's the unremarkable Dan Davidson. Dan, you're like a giant rock floating in space, and Reliant could be hiding behind that rock, buddy. It's amazing that last week you had a great, wonderful introduction, and this week you're back to your normal self. Well, last week was about being positive. Oh, and that just gets thrown out the window? Absolutely. Oh, all right. Well, good. only where you're concerned. Great. Thanks. I'm the co-host, <laughs> Idiot, and it's great to be here. Hey, Idiot. How <laughs> <laughs> you doing? No, it's good to it's good to be here, man. We I feel like I need a, a wave file of of Rain Wilson as Dwight Schrute saying "idiot." I haven't gotten that far yet in the show. Oh my god, you got to watch The Office. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but we're going to talk about a different show tonight, one that is even more classic than that, and an episode that really is just required watching. It is definitely required watching. And as a matter of fact, Star Trek's Twitter feed posted a question yesterday about if you had somebody new coming into Star Trek, what episode would you recommend? And our very good friend and uh, Camp Kittimer admin Haley responded with Devil in the Dark, which, hey, guess what, guys? That's what we're talking about tonight. Devil in the Dark. It's a classic season one, late season episode. Uh, it's just one of the ones that you always uh, hear in the conversation of best TOS episodes. So we felt it was about time to uh, to uh, jump down the tunnel, so to speak, 
and talk about it. <laughs> Is that your best Sheldon Cooper laugh? That was thank you. I'm that glad you pretty good. It must have been pretty good. You recognized it. Yeah. That was that was pretty good. I'm I'm stunned that I recognized it. Um <laughs> I just I have so many issues now that I'm just afraid that I know these things. Um yeah, Devil in the Dark. I mean, it's one that I've loved for so long. I, I don't I don't know how you introduce somebody to Star Trek without this episode. We're going to talk a lot about that later. For now, though, we're going to talk about how people can get in touch with us and maybe tell us their favorite Star Trek episodes, my friend. Oh, is that me? Sorry, I was writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's you. Uh, welcome to the show. This is Trek Geeks. I'm Bill. <laughs> and I'm Dan. And, and you know what, people? It is just so easy to get in touch with us. Head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact and there you will find a variety of ways to get in touch with either bill or myself you can leave us a voicemail you can skype chat us you can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message or you can click on that giant big bright blue button on the right hand side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous voice using SpeakPipe. and hey don't forget the place to be on facebook these days is the official trek geeks facebook group camp kittimer bring your trek talk your trek picks and your trek love over to the site and join over 1,300 other friends talking Trek. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Also, don't forget every Friday, it's the Friday Commute Celebration where Bill and I will do our weekly lip sync, especially for campers. And if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks podcast network, you're going to find it first on Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. To join the group, head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to take part in a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, thank you so much to our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running the camp. And please remember, it is extremely important, it is vitally urgent that you remember that any comments or messages in in any of these places may be used in a future episode, Bill. Wow. Um, I actually understood that. And maybe it's because I've heard you read it 174 times. Um, I don't know. But um, well done, my friend. Well done. Um, I don't. I have. I have nothing to say to that. My enunciation and pronunciation is not to be messed with. At I'm least ama- right now. <laughs> at least at this moment in time. Plus, I'm amazed you could actually use the words enunciation and pronunciation correctly in a sentence. Because I, honestly, you're not that bright. I wrote it down actually beforehand. It took me about an hour to come up with that sentence. I believe that. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. Thank you, Michael Jackson, for that stirring rendition of whatever the hell that was. Uh, Dan, lots of a little, a few news items this week, some real big ones, though. First up, for fans of the original animated series from the 1970s, they can now look forward to some brand new reading material for their coffee table later this year. This will be on my coffee table as soon as it comes out. Uh, since my rewatch of the animated series for See It or Skip It, 
I now have a new appreciation for that animated series, and I am looking forward to this. Simon & Schuster and CBS Consumer Products have announced Star Trek, the official guide to the animated series, will be released later this year. And as you mentioned, Bill, it'll be an in-depth look at the 22 episodes of that series with more than 150 pages of info. And as the official description of the book states, quote, this book is the first to document the animated series, each episode lovingly and authoritatively described by authors who had astonishing access to behind-the-scenes tales, original scripts, and the talent who made it all happen, end quote. Penned by Aaron Harvey and Rich Shepis, we want to congratulate both of these guys on this project. And Aaron, as many of you know, is the designer of our beautiful Trek Geeks logo, and we could not be happier for the both of them for this amazing thing. This took me by surprise. I had no idea that Aaron was working on this. So when we saw the announcement, I was like, what? Uh, me either. It explains why he's been, you know, so um, quiet on social media for a long period of time, because this book is, it's all encompassing. And just looking at the pages that were made available as previews from Simon and Schuster, it, uh, this had to take forever. So my hat is off to him. Um, congratulations to both him and Rich. This is definitely something to be proud of. And Certainly one that Trek fans are going to want in their in their hot little hands right after it comes out. I know I'll have it, um, yeah. without a doubt. Definitely I'll have it. And hopefully they will explain why in one episode when Scotty's in the transporter room, his shirt goes from red to pink to red to pink again. Well, I think we all know that's because of the uh, <laughs> the the particle beam and ah. the, uh, the energy flow through the EPS conduits oh. was fluctuating uh, significantly. Excellent techno babble, my friend. I, I have no babble, idea what I just said, but it worked. <laughs> well, Dan, next up in news, I actually saw a commercial for this on television the other day. What? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I actually did. So, if you have a Dave and Buster's near you, you might want to walk through the door there just to check this one out because it looks pretty amazing. Yeah, there's no Dave and Buster's around here, dude. So that's not ha- that's not that's not good. Uh, we might have to drive to wherever the closest one is for this, because yes, at Dave and Buster's, you can now help protect the enterprise. The one from the Kelvin timeline in the Dave and Buster's exclusive VR game, star Trek, dark remnant. This game will put you in control of the USS Galileo Starfleet's latest and most advanced stellar research vessel accompanied by the USS enterprise on a routine mission to evacuate a stellar observatory located in the middle of the Klingon neutral zone. When the nearby neutron star collapses prematurely, it leaves the Enterprise incapacitated, and it's up to you to protect her from stellar debris and the unwelcome arrival of a Klingon ship out for vengeance. That's what the official description states. And it also says that there will be several completely different endings combined with other elements of variability, which includes subtle differences in gameplay, randomized player characters, and dialogue that respond real-time to your performance. So Star Trek Dark Remnant... Is never the same experience twice, Bill. And I got two words for you. Away mission. Well, I will tell you, there is a Dave and Buster's in Woburn, Mass, which is uh, really not all that far away. How far is it from here? Uh, not all that far away. You have to Google. <laughs> look it up. I'm busy doing a podcast, man. No, that's the first time you've actually been busy doing this podcast. Ouch. <laughs> in four years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I can bet that we we may make it an away mission to the to the Woburn area. Mm. Uh, you figure it's probably within an hour of where we live now, and we've done things that are more stupid 
um, for Star Trek. I'm seeing a little table trek in our future down there. Uh, I don't know if it lends to it, um, simply because of the atmosphere there. But we'll um, uh, I. I guess I will put you in touch with the executive producer of Table Trek. How's Thank that you. sound? Thank you very much. Um, we haven't actually announced that on Trek Geek, so we may as well do that oh. now. Oops. We're bringing a, uh, a new podcast uh, that we have in development. It's called Table Trek. It will be about uh, Star Trek tabletop games and playing uh, a bunch of them over time, getting four people in a room, preferably at a bar with drinks in hand, and the conversation that ensues. I came to you with this idea last week, mm-hmm. and I told you about it. And by noon, <laughs> I already had a fully formed idea, and I bought the first game. Yeah, um, and and it's kind of see, I did I planned this all. See, we're doing news right now, so this is like another news story. So thumbs up to Dan, right? Right? Okay. Anyway, um, so yeah, it's it's going to be pretty cool sitting around. You you made a uh, you you um, you had a wonderful quote uh, sort of like uh, album cover. I, I I'm not sure what the word is for. It's for an album the- cover cover for table trek with a with a tri-dimensional chess set with a margarita for me thank you so much so that's the idea we're going to sit around we're going to play star trek board games and we're going to talk trek and we're going to record it it's going to be a fun conversation and i think it's going to be really really interesting and i'm looking forward to it starting every now and then i have an idea that's pretty okay um like pond fire man every seven years and you're good to go well i'm ahead of the schedule because i had this idea for trek geeks and then i've got this so uh, i got that going for me which is nice. Dan, lastly in news, it appears that fans are finally going to get an answer to what we left behind. And for you and I, we're going to get that answer in actually just a few short weeks and donors are going to get it even sooner. Yes, they are. Absolutely. You know, we've been waiting for this for a long time, man. And I've, I've never been, you know, I've never been upset with the delays and I don't want to really call them delays about uh, this the, the project and the release of this documentary. I'm talking about, of course, the DS9 doc, what we left behind. You and I have been proud supporters of this project. And as the project nears completion, it's going to be available in select movie theaters across the country. So Fathom Events has announced that the highly anticipated documentary on our favorite series will be available for viewing at select theaters in the United States starting very soon. And I am beyond excited beyond excited uh, that we will be sitting down to watch this movie in just a couple of weeks time in Lowell mass, just a few minutes walk from where we work. And I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. Well, and those donors who qualified for an online stream of it, will be getting that on April 25th. Um, yes. So before the theatrical fathom event, which will be pretty cool. I think I qualify for that level. I have to look back and see because um, I, I've, <laughs> I forget. I better because I did the STLV package. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be available on the 25th of April uh, at 9.09 PM and it will be available to stream for 99 hours. A lot of nines in there. I wonder why that is. I'm not sure. I'm not very smart with math. Math is hard. Math is hard. Of course, this week's episode is brought to you by our dear friends at Fansets. You know, as always, we love to talk about their amazing line of pin products and pin collectibles because they really are the best in the industry, hands down. When you place an order at Fansets.com, you truly can be confident that you're going to be getting the best products, the best prices, and the best customer service around. Lou and John and the entire Fansets team 
truly do share the same passion for Star Trek as you and I do, and it shows with every pin they release. Now, just as an example to their level of detail and their desire to get the best product out to, to Star Trek fans, this month's schedule has a slight update to it. The Dr. Phlox pin had a slight issue with one of the colors, so they're actually going to get that pin fixed, uh, which is fantastic. I mean, they got the pins. They weren't right. They said, nope, we got to fix this. And so as a result, Miles O'Brien is now available instead of happening later this month. Yes. And once Dr. Flox is released from sickbay, he's going to be, be available later on in April. So we're just kind of flip-flopping the schedule for fansets. But this is the kind of dedication, Dan, that we really appreciate for them. So we want to tell everybody, head on over to fansets.com, put a bunch of pins and pin accessories into your shopping cart. And at checkout, be sure to enter this week's exclusive checkout code, DESTINY. That's D-E-S-T-I-N-Y. I almost did a back to the future there. <laughs> D-E-S-T-I-N-Y in all capital letters. Use that code. You're going to get 15% off your entire order on fansets.com. So now keep in mind, this code is going to be available to use until Sunday, April 14th, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Yeah, it's a fantastic site. I recommend everybody head on over to fansets.com. Look at all the different genres that they have to choose from because it's not just Star Trek. They've got DC, Harry Potter, Alien, just to name a few. And speaking of Alien, anyone going to Starfest in Denver, Colorado, April 26th through the 28th should definitely stop by, say hi to the folks at Fansets, and get your exclusive Starfest Alien pin Oh my God, it is gorgeous. In addition to the full adult alien showing you his multiple set of choppers, there's a little cute little chest burster worked into the pin as well. So it's very cool. Check it out. Get a bunch of pins and shake their hands because they're fantastic people. And for Trek fans, there are close to 200 pins to choose from now. And if you haven't started, get going building up your awesome collection just like Bill and I have done. In addition to the special weekly discount code, if you order over $35 of pins or accessories, you will get free shipping on your order too. Great products, great prices, and great service. Those are three things you will always get with Fansets. Fansets. We are Star Trek. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Dan, as we move into our main topic this week to talk about a legendary Star Trek episode. I mean, you think of the short list of TOS episodes that classify as must-see, and this one is right up there at the top of the list, man. Devil in the Dark. Spock's Brain, And the Children Shall Lead, Miri. Turnabout Intruder. <laughs> In all seriousness, yes, absolutely. This is, this is one of the ones that is the top-level Star Trek episodes in terms of the story the quote-unquote Star Trek that we always talk about if an episode is Star Trek. And it's just great to watch. There's there's a lot going on uh, in this episode that take place behind the scenes or what was going on during filming, which I think we'll get into. But just the story itself and, and what the crew has to deal with and how they deal with it is what makes this episode just so, so great from a Star Trek perspective. Poor Schmitter. Burn to a crisp. <laughs> you know, I think it's one of the only teases that doesn't take place aboard the Enterprise throughout all of TOS or doesn't have any Starfleet characters in it. And it's just done so well. I mean, you know, for the moment that Schmitter is left alone, that he is, if you'll pardon the expression, toast. 
toast. <laughs> I mouthed it as you said it because I knew that's what you were going to say. And what's what's funny is later on we actually get to see what a different victim looks like as that toast. And it kind of reminds me of the cat in Christmas Vacation when it chews on the Christmas fire. <laughs> but that's probably as quote-unquote violent as we would have seen back in the 60s. You got this this shape of a body on the ground and it's all charred and and smoking um but it works and it works brilliantly it leaves you with this fear of what this creature's doing yeah i have to agree with you i mean you figure this is the 26th episode of tos's first season keep in mind they had an insane amount of episodes season one the 60s were a much different time and it was at the end of this episode that nbc announced over the credits that star trek would be renewed for a second season so we know going into it, we're going to get more adventures. And then you consider the the depth and the breadth of this episode as far as its character building and as far as some of these moments that we get as, as, as pure science fiction. And it really is quite a spectacle, I have to say. This episode, I mean, and we're going to talk about him at some point, but uh, written by the legendary Gene Elkoon, mm-hmm. who in my mind, even as a kid, just really never got enough credit for his contributions to the original series. You know, there's, there's Gene Roddenberry, you know, there's Bob Justman, there's a whole bunch of people, but Gene Kuhn really was responsible for a great many things that worked so well in Star Trek, including the Klingons, including in this case, the Horda. Mm-hmm. Um, and really his script is just a masterpiece. It really is. And, and you know, it's funny, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves, but when you talk about Star Trek, uh, or at least, or at least the real, you know, deep fans, you talk Gene Roddenberry, and Gene Kuhn is usually somewhere near that same sentence. Um, he did he did a lot, and I gotta say, in addition to Gene Kuhn, Ralph Sineski's direction of this episode really works for what they did in the '60s. I mean, looking at it today, it's much different than what we get with the with the great directors like Jonathan Frakes and everything. But he did a great job with with instilling that unknown aspect of what the creature was, and instilling the fear, and making you feel the fear that these other miners are feeling, especially at the beginning of the episode before we actually see the big pizza monster. But uh, we'll get to the, the pizza monster later, I think. Right. I didn't think this one was done by Sinensky. I thought it was done by Joe Pevney. I thought it was. Let me check that real quick. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, um, I'm looking at, uh, I'm over in uh, memory alpha right now. And unless I'm reading it incorrectly, Ralph Sineski was assigned to direct it. He, but oh, he didn't. Oh, you're right. That's did. right. He did not direct it. My apologies. Yes, he was. It was switched at the last moment. So whoever directed it, because I don't have that uh, in front of me right now, did a real great job. Oh, I just told you it was Joseph Pevney. <laughs> I didn't hear you. Um, it's is one of the. I think. I think what works for this me. What works for this for me. Uh-huh. What works for me with this episode so well is is the lighting. You know, we talk about how you know how important how critical the lighting is just to photography in general. Um, because you know, at its base, you know, <laughs> you can't have photography without light, hence photo. But this is a really dark episode visually. You have the caverns, you have the the tunnels, you have those beautiful matte paintings, regardless of which version of this episode you're watching, of the the Janus Six mining colony, mm-hmm. and everything just looks creepy. Everything looks scary because it's a foreign atmosphere to all of us. And to think about this monster tunneling through this rock and you have no idea where it could come out, that's a pretty frightening thing. So already you're setting the crew in a space where you know bad things are going to happen. I'm not sure if this is something that I would want to admit on the podcast in case people don't agree with me, but 
Sue and I are huge fans of the Underworld franchise. And when we watched this episode just a couple of nights ago to prepare for the podcast, she had actually not, she didn't remember seeing any of it when she was a kid. So this was like watching it for the first time for her. And I'll get into her reaction later. But as we're watching her, watching it, watching her, as I was watching it, um, I, I looked over to her and I said, does this remind you of Underworld a little bit? And she goes, what do you mean? There's a lot of blue in this. Underworld is very uh, known for, it's always got a blue hint or tone to the, to the screen. And I don't know why, maybe because we just watched one of the Underworlds like a week or so ago, but it, it reminded me of that because it's in the caves and the darkness. But I always found it funny that there was some kind of light shining from the end of one tunnel or another, wherever Kirk or Spock were. I thought that was kind of good, but the lighting worked. Um, it, it just was something at the time you had to work with what you had and they did a good job doing it. Um, but what you said also is you don't know where this creature is going to be showing up. And just the idea that this creature could move through solid rock as easily as you and I walk through air. That's kind of hard to process. Even when you see it happening as good as they could with the special effects, that just is, is something that completely blows my mind. And, and it's able to walk through that rock, making perfectly good circular tunnels. I thought it was really cool. I think the thing that really gets me about this episode is that they came up with the Horta costume first. Mm. Yes, that's right. And then Gene Kuhn saw it and said, oh, uh, this could, we can do whatever you want with this. I'm going to write an episode around it. And he wrote this episode, Devil in the Dark, in four days, just so the costume could be used. I and That just boggles my mind. You know, that in four days he could come up with something that is widely regarded amongst Trek fans as one of the best episodes ever. Mm-hmm. Um, is really kind of mind-blowing, especially when you look at the Horta costume, which doesn't necessarily inspire fear, but (laughs) it's everything else in the episode that makes you fear the Horta until you understand it. Not that I would want this to ever happen, because I don't. Because there are some things that you just want to keep pure to the original series. I love the remasters. I love what they did with the special effects. You got to wonder what a Horda would look like with today's technology. Like if they brought a Horda in on Discovery. Because in some of the in one of the books, I remember reading one of the books years ago, there was a Horda crew member in one starship. Which is kind of freaky when you think about it. But it was an intelligent creature and somehow there was a Horda in Starfleet, uh, which I thought was kind of cool in the books. But to see that reimagined with today's technology, that would be something I'd like to catch a glimpse of. It really would. You know, as as I rewatched this episode this past weekend in preparation for this, I was really struck by the way I saw it or what I remember from it as a kid. You know, because this is among, you know, the early episodes I saw as a kid. I know Corva Might Maneuver was my first. This was right up there within the first couple of weeks of my seeing Star Trek for the first time. And I remember as a kid taking away from this that, you know, we fear what we don't understand. And I think that that is the most powerful episode of this message, uh, powerful message of this episode. Right. Is that, you know, the only reason these miners fear the Horde is because they're essentially putting the Horde's children in danger and killing the children without realizing it. Mm-hmm. And there's no real way to communicate. And as a result, they fear and they, they strike back against and they, they take provocative action against a, a life form they don't understand. And it, as a kid, it reinforced for me that understanding was key to communication. And 
I, I don't know. These days, it makes me wish like a whole bunch of people would watch this episode to get this message. It's interesting to me that all these years we've talked about Star Trek and and as we always like to put in air quotes, Gene's vision, and that in the future, everyone loves each other and there is no negativity or anything like that. But yet here we have these miners who have lost some some crew some not crew members because it's not a crew but some some mi- additional miners to this creature and all they're talking about is that they want to kill it they don't want to talk to it they don't want to see if they can talk to it they don't want to try to figure out what's going on all they want to do is destroy it that's not gene's vision to me but they're able to do this story in a way that they can overcome that and they do that with a fantastic performance by both William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, they really do stand out in this episode uh, for, for different reasons. I mean, it wasn't until years after I saw this episode for the first time that I heard that Shatner's father died during a production of this episode. Right. And if you go back and you watch that with that in the back of your brain, Shatner is just such a pro that you have no idea that he's been, well, what's the phrase we use now since 2009, emotionally compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was the consummate professional. I mean, even Eddie Paskey said during shooting that nobody knew what was going on until Shatner had left. Right. You know, because he was just that dedicated. He didn't want to halt production. He wanted to press on. And then Leonard's performance in this episode is nothing less than beautiful. Um, I, I, I watched it a couple of times and both times I was struck by the, the layer of mythos we added for Spock and then the, the level of intensity that Leonard applied in delivering that performance. It's just, it's, it's mind blowing. It truly is. Yeah. Uh, I'll get to the Spock thing in a second, but one thing that I like about Kirk and Spock in this episode, you actually mentioned it to me just the other day. This episode has one of the best pictures of Spock and Kirk together when they spin around and the horde is coming at them, that picture or the camera on the two of them has become one of the iconic pictures of Kirk and Spock in the entire history of Star Trek. And it's from this episode. It always looks brilliant. And we were actually going to use that for the album cover, but it just wasn't going to fit correctly. Um, But Spock and, and the scene, I, I was very interested. I remember when I would see this when I was younger, after I'd seen it several times, Spock can have, telepathic connections without touching something. I found that very interesting when he was feeling the waves of pain from the Horda the first time he tried to communicate with it. And then in order to actually communicate specifically with it, he had to touch it. And I got to tell you, man, when I was a kid, that scene grossed me the freak out because the Horda was pulsing and he's putting his hands on this pulsing thing. And I was just kind of like, what is going on? And the the damaged part of the horror was all like just that white kind of clayish looking part that had been phasered off. And for some reason, that always just grossed me out. Really? Especially the pulsing and Spock just kind of like grabs onto it. And then you hear that noise. <laughs> <laughs> it just, of course as i got older i appreciate it a lot more but when i was a kid oh man that was just like <laughs> the the spock mind meld scene is just so intense mm-hmm. you know you talk about the pain you know he screams pain it was that legendary story about the fallout between shatner and nimoy over uh nimoy recreating that scene for shatner because he shot it 
uh, while Shatner was away and they essentially shot around him using Shatner stand in, uh, for over the shoulder shots. But you know, it's, uh, I go back and I watch that mind meld and I, I think about what Leonard has to try to convey from this carpet on wheels, which is really what the word is. <laughs> and it, it really is kind of mind blowing. It says that, well, the old adage is, you know, if it's not on the page, it's not on the screen. It truly is on the page because Gene Kuhn really sets Leonard Nimoy up for success in the scene. And then Leonard really just brings the whole thing home. You feel everything that that Horta feels through Leonard's performance. And you understand what the problem is. You understand that we are the problem. You're not just the miners on Genesis. We humans are the problem. And that's a really amazing message to deliver on television in the 1960s. Well, that's, that's what we talk about. It's one of the best aspects of this episode is the message um, and what it what it is telling us. that You just said it. I can't say it any better than what you just said. We are the problem. We are the ones who go out and destroy without thinking and, and not thinking about ramifications or this, that, and the other thing. This episode tackles that in a way that works with science fiction. We talk about let that be your last battlefield a lot, being another one to tackle an issue of the time with civil rights. This is another perfect example. It's not as in your face as civil rights. I was able to throw my face in there somehow, which was pretty good, but it's, it's, it's our inability as human beings to take a look at the big picture before having some kind of a knee jerk reaction based on nothing. And that's what I think works so well uh, with this episode. Yeah, there's a great quote from the, uh, the the classic paperback book, The Making of Star Trek, from Stephen Whitfield and Gene Roddenberry. And I'm going to read it off the uh, off the uh, memory alpha page because they transcribed it here. Um, a quote, and this is this is Gene. The Horda suddenly became understandable. It wasn't just a monster; it was someone, and the audience could put themselves in the place of the Horda, identify, feel. That's what drama is all about, and that's its importance, too. If you can learn to feel for a horda, you may also be learning to understand and feel for other humans of different colors, ways, and beliefs, end quote. And it's amazing to me that, no, I guess it shouldn't be amazing to me because this is Star Trek, but it's amazing to me that that kind of calculus went into the script um, ahead of time. Because it really does, it is kind of bonk bonk on the head in a way, but it's bonk bonk on the head in a way that is just so sublime and subversive that it works so well. See, I've never looked at it as bonk bonk on the head. That's interesting. Really? Because as a yeah. kid, I, I felt it was right up front. Huh, that's interesting. Um, no, I, I mean, either way, whether whether it kind of is or, or isn't, it, it still works. Um Small little trivia thing that I've always enjoyed about this episode is that this is the first time in Star Trek that we have the McCoy, I'm a doctor, not a fill-in-the-blank line. And this was the bricklayer line, which is my favorite one. I think it's one of my favorites. Um, So I thought that that was really cool that they were able to get that in. And I I also found it very interesting that that, um, McCoy McCoy was like, I got to admit, to me, he was like the miners. When he beamed down and Kirk said, you need to heal that. He's like, I'm not, I'm not, what do you expect me to do? That's what the bricklayer line came out. He had no desire or want, even as a, a, even as a medical professional to save this creature. Uh, Is it because he didn't know anything about it? Was he upset that it had killed other people? We don't really know, but he at first wasn't really interested in doing it until it became an order by Kirk. We fear what we don't understand. And I think that, a lot of that was McCoy's initial reaction until he realized, 
you know, I, I can heal. It's not just humans or, or humanoids that I can, that I can affect the difference on. It's, it's life forms that I couldn't even have conceived of yesterday. Maybe even a rainy day. Maybe even a rainy day or a moon <laughs> shuttle or something. Um, but you know, we also, we, we drift into the topic of Silicon based life here and, and that's really kind of a mind blowing topic too, because to date, I mean, aliens on television have all been biped humanoids right. to some extent. And then you get this thing that looks like a giant rock itself, you know, with lava on the outside perhaps. And it's, um, it's ominous in the sense that, you know, it, it is alive and you don't expect it to be. It's very fascinating that they chose that design for the creature, that costume before they wrote the episode, because it could have been anything. It makes me wonder about what other ideas Gene Kuhn could have come up with for that particular costume. What, what other aliens have we ever seen in Star Trek that were not humanoid or just a light ball? Right. I, this is this is really the only one that I can think of off the top of my head as I try to go through everything as fast as I can, right? Um, and, and it really it it really really works. Um, I mentioned earlier that Sue doesn't or didn't have any recollection of seeing this episode before we sat down and while we were watching it, which I love that she, she hasn't watched a lot of TOS since she was a kid with her dad. Um, so a lot of these episodes maybe feel brand new to her. So I like watching her reaction, and I got to say. I love I love hearing hearing her opinions as we're watching because there's that scene towards the end where the uh, crowd of miners is kind of being blocked by the red shirt security team. They are not to go down the tunnel where the Horta, Kirk, McCoy, and Spock are. And at one point, they overtake the guards, and they're hitting them with those pipes. And if you notice on the right hand side of the screen, one of the security cards falls on the ground and the, one of the miners just like starts bashing him on the back of the head with his pipe, like three or four times. And Sue's just like, these guys are idiots. (laughs) 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 It was was just great. Um, But then in that same scene, we see the determination of Kirk. It's one of my favorite lines of the scene uh, of the, of the whole episode. Rather it's they show up and they've got their weapons drawn Kirk draws his phaser and says, the first man that fires is dead. And I yeah. guarantee you, if somebody had shot, he would have killed him. I, I just always know that in my heart that would have happened. I, I know that too. I, as surely as I know everything else about James T. Kirk, you know, yeah. um, I, I believe that he would have done that because at that point he understood. Exactly. At that point he knew that, that we were the problem. You know, as soon as, uh, as soon as we got to no kill I, you know, and, and that's, uh, I think his line there is actually, is pretty fascinating. You know, we see that the, the Horda etches no kill eye on the rock. He's like, what is that? A, a, a plea for us not to kill it or a promise that it won't kill us. And I think on some level, it's a little a column A and a little column B. And I think it, Kirk understands at that point from his time around the Horda that it, it, they're safe now that they have an understanding. You didn't say it as Kirk. You disappoint me. Well, it's because I saved that for you. You're so much better at it. <laughs> um, you gotta, you gotta figure. As you said, he he understands what's going on, and this may seem kind of corny, but but I'm gonna say it anyway. I I could never imagine what it would be like to lose a child, a child. Yeah. And this horda has lost thousands yeah. of what is, for all intents and purposes, her children because she's the mother of the race, and. 
I think that Kirk understands that when he takes the stand against the miners in that scene, and it makes it work all that much more. I think the thing that always surprised me about Spock in this episode is he's pretty convinced that McCoy is going to be totally useless in this scenario. Um, <laughs> it's like uh, his medical knowledge is going to be totally useless. <laughs> it's like, well, Spock, thanks for putting too fine a point on it, right? Um, <laughs> he's a healer, Spock. Let him heal. I mean, McCoy doesn't even know he can do it at that point. And Spock certainly doesn't think he can do it. But Kirk is the only one that that feels like like McCoy can add value here. And I, I give him the credit there to know the strengths of his people because that's what a good captain does. Yeah. Um, it's funny. McCoy doesn't think that he can heal a silicone-based life form. He doesn't think he can reattach a brain. But look at all of these things that he did. He's such a great guy. But he he really has no problem yelling at whoever was on the receiving end of the call to the Enterprise to send down the uh, the plasma concrete or whatever the hell it was that he brought down because he was like... Rah, 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 rah. It was a total, total McCoy moment that worked so, so great. And have you noticed, Bill, that McCoy has more of an arching eyebrow in a lot of episodes than Spock even does. Oh, absolutely. He does. And this one's no exception. <laughs> um, you know, that, that toward the end of the episode where McCoy's hands are just covered in thermo concrete. Thermo. That's what it was. Yeah. Because it's mostly silicone. Yeah. Uh, huh? Okay. never mind. Um, if I guess he'll just trowel it into the wound. So I'm wondering, do Starfleet ship surgeons come equipped with trowels now? Um, <laughs> I, where, where'd he pull that out of? Cause he doesn't like bring a little black bag. He's got his tricorder. He's got his little med scanner. He's got his hypo sprays on his hip. Does one of those convert like Batman into a trowel for thermal concrete? You look like you're dying over there. You were a mute coughing <laughs> your head off. Cause I was coughing and laughing so hard. That was, that was awesome. I, I could just see him with one of those things like they use just like splotting it all on and wiping it back and getting it in the grooves and smoothing it out again. Oh, see, there's still humor in these very serious episodes. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. You know what else is interesting? Yeah. What? Is we've talked about this before. This show has all of the cast members that are such an integral part of the crew, but we've always talked about the Enterprise being a specific character in the series. And this is one of the only episodes where the Enterprise is barely seen at all. It's seen in two very quick scenes. When Kirk is talking to Scotty about if he's ever seen one of the uh, type of pumps that the the miners use, mm. and then at the very end when they're back on the ship and they have that fun discussion with Spock, that's it. Everything else is on the planet, and it works great. Well, and Sulu and Uhura aren't in this episode either. Yeah, exactly. Is Chekhov even in it? No, it's season one. Oh, that's right, season one. That's right, correct, 26, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah. Uh, and I figured that was probably a cost-cutting measures to allow them to hire more miners. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of on day rate, but um, for whatever it is, I mean, uh, hey, I got to say, don't the miners wear beautifully colored costumes? Oh, I mean, we see those all throughout Star Trek, but isn't the last thing you want to put miners in are, are pastels? Orange, pink, yellow. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> well, and in, Schmitter's, all... <laughs> in Schmitter's case, black. Oh, wow. <laughs> I killed myself there. That was awesome. Oh, my God. Well, uh, well the Horda killed him, so I guess it works. Lots of good colors. It's funny that uh, we look at the at the, at the the um, Horda eggs, but we don't know the Horda eggs at the beginning, and they're just, they're just rocks, so to speak, but they are so perfectly circular. Those were actually, you know those bouncy balls that you use at the playground when you're a kid? Yeah, yeah. Just bouncing balls painted gold. 
Oh wow! Yeah, uh, just it's it's cool what they were able to do on the low budget and make it work. And I thought that was kind of cool. So if Spock had taken that egg that he was looking at and just like thrown it against the wall, it would have bounced right back at him. Uh, or imagine if he just taken it aboard the Enterprise and kind of like a triple. <laughs> at some point, you get this monster that can cut through rock, just slicing through the bulkheads of the Enterprise. I was going to say, could it go through the metal as easy? Uh, I would think so. That could be dangerous. Uh, you think? <laughs> you think, especially if it finds that garbage chute. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one where they stick overloaded phasers on board the Enterprise? Yeah, yeah, because that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it's really hard to, to find something that's wrong with this episode because so much works. I mean, yeah, you could talk about the way the Horda looks and maybe how it doesn't look all that realistic. It was 1966, you know, for crying out loud, 67. I mean... Uh, there's really nothing about this episode that really you can be all that critical about because it is just such a great story that's incredibly well acted from beginning to end. Yeah, it, it really is. There's, there's no, I mean, other than the guy beating the, uh, the guy who's already on the ground with the yeah, yeah. a few times, there really isn't I, I just, there's so many things that I remember watching as a kid that scared me, but I liked it. One thing that I didn't really talk about was the Horda itself, you know, with the lava or I like, jokingly call it pizza those like tendril things at the bottom of the of the costume or at the bottom of the horda those things petrified me and you get a really? really good oh yeah you get a really good look at it when it does the no kill eye and it's pulling away because they're still there and they kind of just like go off the screen slowly oh my god heebie-jeebies when i was a kid man i just that just drove me nuts <laughs> that really kind of surprises me because i didn't get that feeling at all oh, i don't know why but it just it did yeah but then you were also freaked out by the gorn right I was freaked out of the going. I'm freaked out by you now as a 49 year old. So I guess, you know, anything can happen. You know what else is cool, Bill? Um, Anthony Rapp of Star Trek Discovery actually cites this as one of his two favorite Star Trek episodes. Oh, that's really cool. It's very cool. The other one was a muck time, but he said that he likes both episodes because of how they depict Spock, which is very cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, you know, it's it's so neat to see someone who's involved in a Star Trek series having that love for the original series and especially this episode, which is considered one of the best. That's cool. This is one of those episodes of TOS where I don't think it works nearly as well. If Leonard isn't just flawless with his performance, like he is in this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they could have found a different way to communicate with the Horda and it wouldn't have been nearly as impactful as Spock's mind meld and the, and the pain that he experienced. And I have to keep coming back to that because I really think it is the the crucial and critical moments of of this particular episode. It's where the whole story hinges. You know, Spock gets that insight, so we get that insight. And I just it makes me miss Leonard more and more. Um, watching it the second time, you know, having these realizations was really tough. I'm not gonna lie because it's been four years and it it feels like it's been a whole lot longer because. Leonard has just always been Star Trek and it is no more on display than it is in devil in the dark. I love watching Leonard and I find myself doing this in this episode, not so much for the, for, for the, the lines and the dialogue, just watching the facial expressions and how he does things and, and the subtle, the raising of the eyebrow, of course, everybody knows, but just the way he holds himself when he's saying something at the end of the episode, the joke about being insulted, just the way that he reacts to that. He was so good at that. And especially what I, what I'd like 
with the mind melt scene, the camera is right there at his face and just watching that pain and that anguish that he's going through. He does it. Oh man, he did it so great. And we talked about it on discovering Trek this week and how great a job uh, Ethan Peck is doing as Spock. Look, nobody will. Spock is Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy will always be Spock. There's no replacement for that at all for the, in, in any way, shape, or form. And episodes like this one and Amok Time, as, as Anthony Rapp mentioned, are two great examples of how Leonard Nimoy made this character immortal, even though we lost him a few years back. Other people will play Spock. Yes. Leonard, Leonard was prescient enough to know that. Mm-hmm. He signed off on Zachary Quinto playing it. He was excited by that prospect. And he knew that Spock, although he was so closely tied to the character, and rightfully so, he knew that Spock was bigger than Leonard Nimoy. And Spock has to be. Um, We will always have Spock in one form or another, even if it's Leonard's performances. If that's all somebody wants to watch, that's that's perfect because it is it is perfection. It is a, it is a master class in acting every time Leonard is on screen. But it's it's great to see that other people can pick up the mantle of that character and interpret it in a way that is faithful to Star Trek and faithful to moments like this. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. There's some great scenes in this episode of Kirk. There's some great scenes of Spock. There's some great episodes with the two of them arguing. When Kirk says you're going to kill the creature and then when when Spock is talking to the security team, he says try to capture it. And Kirk's like, what are you, what are you talking about? That's not that's not my order. I, I don't remember giving that order. Is this a Kirk episode or is this a Spock episode, Bill? I think it's a little both. Um, you know, much like you know, in the initial episodes of the show, it was starring William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. I feel like this was one that that featured them both pretty heavily. There's a little bit of conflict between them that is obviously resolved because of the Roddenberry rule. But they both play such an integral part in this plot. I, I don't think it's fair to say that it's one or the other. I think it's a I think it's a Kirk and Spock episode, quite frankly. Good. All right. Good answer. I like that because that's what I was gonna say. Oh, is, is that what I'm gonna get graded on? No? You never pass on anything, but I'll give you credit at least. So <laughs> you, you brought up the end scene just a moment ago, and this actually has probably one of my favorite kicker scenes in all of Trek. So after all the action, it's kind of like the epilogue. It's before we wrap up, before we get to the end credits, you know, where, I don't know, sometimes people laugh their way into oblivion as the end credits start, or, you know, you get the freeze at the end of piece of the action. Um, But there's such a nice lighthearted moment to carry us forward to next week that it just, it is so fantastic. And this is another moment where Leonard shines. It's like you said, Captain, I see no reason to stand here and be insulted. It's just, it's perfectly delivered. It's perfectly timed. And it just, it it really does put you back at ease to know that these characters will stop somewhere else next week and everything's okay. Yep. It's funny that he found to be insulted by that when he's half human. Well, but he's been suppressing that (laughs) since we met him, you know? The look on his face is classic spock irritation without trying to show the irritation and and i like it a lot it, it is good it's i like this one better than the ones to know where where everybody like you said is laughing on the bridge and scotty's in the back by the turbo lift pretending that he's laughing so hard that he's keeled over uh <laughs> it, it, sometimes it's just a little bit too dramatic but this one this one works and it works really well 
you know, I used to refer to those moments as Star Trek laughing syndrome. And I think I've talked about that on the podcast before. Yeah. It all starts with a laugh and Chatner gets, you know, sort of into it a little bit, but the higher his shoulders go on successive laughs is him laughing harder and harder to the point where you can't hear them laughing, but you can see them laughing. <laughs> and right. Shat- it's, it's like, it's like this. <laughs> it's like, it comes in waves and it's like, guys, really? Nobody laughs like that. <laughs> Thankfully we have the music to uh, drown out that laughter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've called it that for ages. You can ask Matt McGonigal about that yes. the next time you see him. Uh, Star Trek laughing syndrome. Uh, that's a, uh, if you have this condition, please consult a doctor. Please. We oh. beg you. Okay. Preferably Leonard H. McCoy. That took a turn. Just saying. Well, things usually do with you, Dan. You always bring things right down. What can I say? Um, Dan, as I etch no kill eye into a rock over here, um, do you have any final thoughts with regard to Devil in the Dark? I mean, this is an episode that people have talked about for 50 years. Um, it's one that we absolutely love. It's one that we've always loved. Um, aside from the fact that at one point the miners use clubs, even though phasers don't work. Um, do you have any final thoughts on devil in the dark? It is, it is one of the finest hours of, of the original series, if not all of star Trek. And as Haley said, if anyone is questioning of what episodes they should introduce people to star Trek with, this has to be one of the top ones. You can pick other ones because, you know, they're they're the most recognized story or or this that, or the other thing. This is a great example of a Star Trek episode that hits it on every level and portrays that message, which what everybody who loves Star Trek is always looking for anyway. So I love it. I love the acting. I love the even though we joked about them, I love the wacky uniforms of the miners i love the horda now that i'm older i even love the little shaggy tendrils so it, it's, what's not to love <laughs> what well, indeed you know this episode isn't just great star trek it's great science fiction yes and i think the tos has more of those moments because it was first you know even arthur c clark loved this episode he he, he thought it, it impressed him greatly you know because it, it's written exceptionally well and that goes back to just how good a writer gene coon was he developed some of Star Trek's best concepts, including this. And I can't say enough good things about Gene Kuhn. To me, if I had to pick MVPs for this episode, you know how we give out Starfleet combinations on Discovering Trek? Very nice. Yes, I do. I it, it, would be, it would be Gene Kuhn and yeah. Leonard Nimoy, hands yeah, down. Absolutely. Um, because uh, this episode works because one guy wrote the words and the other guy performed them flawlessly. Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. it's almost perfection. Yeah, it's great. You know what I would have loved to have seen? At the end of the episode, when they're back on the ship and they're talking to uh, the lead miner, yeah. he's like, oh, they're all they're, they're, the little buggers are all over the place. They're, they're great once you get used to how they look. I would have loved to have seen somehow with special effects or whatever, just a picture of like, you just like see like 50 little tiny mini hoarders like scurrying all over the place like a bunch of rats. I think that would have been awesome. <laughs> Can you imagine if they made the equivalent of triple cooing and what that must sound like? I imagine it would sound like nails on a chalkboard <laughs> or like your voice. Well, oh, see, see what I did was, there? That was a good one. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank get you. to five year mission. <laughs> hey, I don't recall you being the producer of the show. <laughs> How's about you pipe down? Why don't you finish the nacelles on your enterprise over there, Jerk? 
Yeah. Yeah. That one. Uh, Dan, one of the things that are also absolutely classic, as you mentioned it, our friends, the band five year mission, their music is just amazing. Um, we love all their albums. We love all of their songs. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series or Star Trek, as some people call it. And these are not works of parody. These are not funny songs. These are songs that make you consider these episodes in brand new ways. Episodes like Devil in the Dark. Um, and maybe you think about it from a different perspective. And I think that's one of the reasons why their music is just so fantastic. So we want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net. Please show them some support download all their albums. Um, don't just listen to them on Spotify because I mean, uh, the royalty rate for artists on Spotify is, is a joke. Mm -hmm. If you really want to support the band, head on out to the website, buy the CDs, buy the MP3s and, uh, and show them some love five year mission.net Dan. Yeah, that's, a, that's a very good thing to point out is, is the royalties that people make on streaming services are minuscule compared to the actual physical product. Or if you go buy those MP3s on the website. So, Look at you doing a public service for five-year mission. That's pretty awesome. because I love them. I love them, too. But you know what else I love, Bill? Um, cheese? I, I love cheese, too, actually. But I love watching episodes that make me think of five-year mission. And this week is no different. So not cheese? No, there was no episode about cheese. So oh. I'm going to have some cheese when I leave. But I love cheese. Speaking of food, I got two words for you. Yeah. The, the apple. Oh, that, that's yes. a great Star Trek episode. It's an interesting episode. You know, there's no violation of the prime directive there, Bill. <laughs> and you're going to like it a lot. Yes. yes. You know, good old Gamma Trianguli 6. Val, the drummers of Val. It's it's a very interesting episode in that these people are basically immortal because of what this Val thing does to make the planet such a paradise. They're young. They're healthy. They're attractive specimens. But none are as perfect as the young and curious Farcora. Oh, God. Yeah. And you know what else is even better than that, than Farcora, Bill? Because I'm sure I, you think there's something better than that. I, I can't wait to find out. I found it amazing that the actor who played Farcora in this episode went on to become a star of his own TV series. Yes, I'm talking about Farksky and Hutch. That's pretty cool. I hate you. <laughs> I Starsky and Hutch was my all-time favorite cop show yeah. until I watched The Shield. I mean, I, I have Starsky and Hutch on DVD. I love that car. I told myself if I ever win the lottery, I would buy that red and white Gran Torino in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. um, it was just such a badass show, and now you've reduced and, it to a pun. And now you're never going to be able to watch it without saying Farkski instead, and that's I, my job. I love Fark, but I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, love you. Buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I love you too. <laughs> See, that was two Farks in one. Ha! Great. <laughs> Great. I, do you really have a database of all these? Do you have them all documented? I have them all documented, but I think of them all on my own. No, no, I know. But people have asked for a supercut of all the Farkisms at some point, and that's going to be a, a huge effort. Oh, I don't have the recordings of them all. I just have the actual, like... Oh, you do. They were called MP3s, and they're well, in our podcast. I don't have them saved, like, like you know. I know yeah. Well, I'll, yeah. Have, I'll have the executive producer put that together after he's done watching Farkski and Hutch. I'll delegate it to uh, the co-host, because he's a jerk. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Please support the band, download their music, and show them you love them. 
Dan, don't forget, because I know you're very forgetful. You can also support the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. People can get access to our Carpool Conversations videos and other exclusive content. See the first of our annual supporters pins from fan sets, which are just, oh man, they're so beautiful. And check out the exclusive Podfleet t-shirt design, which you just picked up from the t-shirt printers yesterday, along with so many other perks, my friend. Yes, I certainly did. And they look gorgeous. And speaking of gorgeous, we want to take a moment to thank our associate producers of Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. And they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Peter Craig, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, and the beautiful, gracious, and previously mentioned Andy Fark, Ski and Hutch. Oh, cut it out with the puns. I'm going to fire you and hire Fark. We also want to thank the producers of the Trek Geeks podcast. Uh, we are so grateful for their support as well. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchan, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Norman Lau, Patrick Esquadero, Sean O'Halloran, and the lovely and talented Scott Bashon. If you'd like to become a producer on the network or even get access to the raw audio for Trek Geeks episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today, where subscriptions le- subscriptions subscription levels start, Bill, as low as $2 a month. Next week, Dan, we're going to head back to Deep Space Nine to discuss an episode that we've had to reschedule and reschedule and reschedule. And ultimately, we left it behind. We, ha, I see what you did there. See, I'm not the only one who has good puns. You have them, too. That wasn't a and, pun. That was just well, whatever. Good anyway, hosting. Yes, uh, we have had to reschedule this several times. We had a fantastic time last year um, celebrating the 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine, and of course, we wanted to rind rind it <laughs> <laughs> like a watermelon rind. Yeah, that's it. Wind it up by having a special episode on the finale of Deep Space Nine, but we've had to keep. Uh, moving it out further and further but next week bill we're finally going to do it we're going to deep dive again like we did this week but we're going to talk about our favorite series and the finale of that series the incredible season seven and series ending what you leave behind i this episode makes me cry every single time it's on and i can't wait to talk about it next week apparently what you left behind was your ability to speak english in cogent thought um (laughs) some might say you never had it Others say otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at the tricordertransmissions.com. Our friends over there are creating so many fantastic podcasts, guaranteed to be something for every Star Trek fan over there. So please check them out. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 174 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long. And prosper. Is the end of life. Eternity stops. Go out into the tunnel to the chamber of the ages. Cry for the coconuts. Go. Is that it? Go. <laughs> you go right now. Go away. 
Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Bing bong! There was like an echo. Wow, an echo there. I hate you so much right now. As much as I love you. Hey, oh, see? It is a little hey. different, isn't it? Hi, buddy. Hi, buddy. Uh-huh. How are you? I'm great. Awesome. Are you? Yeah. Are you really? Uh-huh. No. Yeah. You know why? I don't. Because I'm watching episode 13 of Discovery in less than an hour. <laughs> I won't get to watch it until tomorrow at lunch. I know. That's why it's even better. <laughs> See, so, you know, this is the, the part that actually winds up in our, our iTunes feed. So uh-huh. I can't say what I want to say. I know. That's so why I'm taking full I'm just going to give you one of these on the camera. Oh, thank you. He gave me a nice little heart symbol, people. He's just a little heart and a little beating out of his chest like an alien baby. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like an alien chestburster baby. They're so cute. Okay. Speaking of alien chestburster babies, how yeah. about that fan sets Ooh. pin for a uh, Starfest in Denver coming up at the end of the month? I might just have to fly out there just to get that. I really wanted to go to Starfest so this I. year. Yeah. I used to go to that convention 25 years ago when I lived there. Um, and it was fantastic. That was where I saw D. Kelly. Mm-hmm. I saw Jimmy doing there. Um, I, I went to it. I lived in Denver for three years and uh, I went each year I was there. And I think, uh, I think Michael Dorn was there one year too. Um, but it was fantastic. I, it was the thrill of a lifetime to see D on stage. I was glad I got that opportunity because was that, he was fantastic. Was that the convention where Michael Dorn said that the episode that was playing that week was horrible? No, that was the very first convention in the next gen era I went to when Night Terrors was uh, airing that week. And I went to that one in Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. Um, I spent the night in Providence with some friends and we went to the con that day and yeah, he said, hey, how about that episode last night, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't great. That's awesome. Yeah. So not even Dorn liked Night Terrors. Yeah, no, honestly, I mean, it, at least it's not Aquiel. Yeah. Well, that's true. Um, yeah, I would love to get out. I mean, it's just we're, we're so far from where most of the conventions are. There's not a whole lot of them in the East when you really think about it. No. Um, which is too bad. So, but you know, we got STLV, you know, we got, you know, we got to go to Northeast TrekCon last year, which was awesome. So maybe we'll be able to do that one again this year. I, I, I wish I could go to New York city. I mean, yeah. uh, only because I can't, I can't deal with it. Right. Um, the place they have the Javits center, I've actually been to once in my life. And I think I had the biggest panic attack of my life. Just walking into that facility Yeah, just because it's mammoth and it's glass. Right. Yeah. It's like, uh, and so I just, as much as I would want to go, I can't. What's it like? Uh, it sounds like Captain Pike in the wheelchair. Wow. Actually, he doesn't make that noise. People might oh, not have right. seen this. There you go. Mm-hmm. Nice. I, 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 wore, I wore Captain Pike and future Captain Pike for pins today for, for Trek Tuesday. You know, I hope that 
that Anson Mount, I said this to you earlier today, I hope Anson Mount goes into the dealer's room at Star Trek Las Vegas because he, he is a confirmed guest. <laughs> and I hope he gets to meet Sean Kenny, yeah. who played uh, Captain Pike in the wheelchair, because I think that would be a really cool moment. Wheelie Pike? <laughs> Wheelie Pike? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Wheel... Hey, this is Wheels McPikerson. <laughs> coming to you from Starbase 7. No. Wow. No, it's, it's all right. No, that'd be great. Now, see, I have not checked on the creation website to see if Anson has autographs available to purchase now, because in previous years at STLV, the Discovery cast has just had a table where people can go up and pay right then. Correct. I think he's doing that this that, year. That's good, because I got that nice poster I made. I can't wait. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. You know what else is awesome? Your face. Your face. Wow. Your face. Your fa- Wow. For your face is five now in less than five seconds. Well. That's pretty that's good. A, that's a record. If somebody's keeping track of this stuff, um, you might want to write that down. Uh, so watch. Somebody will keep track of this and somebody will write it down <laughs> because it. our audience is awesome. They are awesome. Every single one of them, except my sister. She listens because she still thinks that Alex Trebek was an insurrection. I got nothing. I, I don't know. If, if she's not going to believe it at this point, um, nothing's going to make her believe it. Uh, I just don't think so. I th- I th- what if people come up with this stuff? Hey, she's you're related to her. I don't Donna, know. Donna, don't be an idiot. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Donna, don't be like your brother. Don't be an idiot. Don't talk about Don like that. Donna, don't be like your little brother. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> nice recovery. That was pretty good because you were thinking for a second. I saw the smoke coming out your ears. As you're, as you're sitting on your Star Trek chair, you big jerk. Smoke doesn't come out my ears, Dan. That's because you never use anything in between your ears to cause friction. There is no combustible material between my ears, Dan. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a pineapple Mandarin Mike's hard lemonade. Oh, oh, that sounds nasty. Phenomenal. It tastes like man. It it tastes like Mandarin oranges, but with just a tiniest hint of pineapple. I like what? (laughs) Oh my God. What is wrong with you? And thank you for joining us here on the professional <laughs> Trek Geeks podcast. Yeah, it's hard to believe we're number two, huh? <laughs> Why can't we be more like Mission Log? Damn it. Oh, tell me about it. Mission Log is so awesome. I love they them. They are. Ken is great. Ken and Ray, they're both no. so awesome. No, no, Ken and the computer, they're awesome. <laughs> she, she still has a crush on you. The comp- Mission Log computer loves me. And honestly, what's not to love? Shut up. Are you ready to do this? Yep. <laughs> yes, I am. That'd be a first. 